Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm speaking with Wendy Bashnan. Wendy has worked in government security at the U.S. Department of State, NATO, and the Diplomatic Security Service, as well as in the private sector as Chief Security Officer at Nielsen. Today, she serves as Director of Security and Fire Protection at Scout Motors, And in this episode, Wendy unpacks insights from her career and how to build security into the DNA of your organization. Let's listen in. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I feel like I'm doing this longtime listener, first time caller thing. So it's actually fun. Well, I know we've been trying to get you on the show for quite some time and you're so busy. So I'm super happy that you're here finally and glad you're able to give us some time. I know this is going to be a great episode. So you accrued quite a bit of experience in government security before moving to private enterprises in 2021. What similarities, if any, do you see across those sectors? Oh, I see lots of similarities. And I like to focus on the similarities because I think a lot of times people want to focus on the differences. Even though in the private sector, we tend to focus on the bottom line and the profit, even in government, there's a bottom line. And the bottom line is how you use the taxpayer's money. And for me, I think the success has come from being able to understand your audience and who is your customer. And with that, how do you support them? And whether you're making a product or you're providing a service. So as you think about this transition you've made from public to private, how can public and private sector security functions work together to improve their capabilities? I think one is engagement. I think we need to get out of our silos. We need to not act like just government and just the private sector. And I think that there are wonderful opportunities and avenues to do that and more and more of those going. I find podcasts like this to be tremendously valuable and impactful in sharing the information across all the different, whether you want to call it industries or sectors or whatever. We're sharing our experiences to then create a narrative of best case or best practice. And I think that's a tremendous value that anyone in an organization, and it doesn't matter whether you're in security or you're in EHS or you're in HR, it's going to be valuable to you. And who are the top people you should reach out to if you're in the private sector and you're thinking about the folks you'd want to talk to in the public sector? Who would you reach out to? I'd say if I was going into this for the first time, I would start with what I call the big three. And the big three are as is, OSAC and DSAC. Engage with like-minded people who are going through the same similar situations or challenges that you have and sharing experiences. And I was reading an article recently that was talking about the importance of private and public partnerships. And we can't do these independently by ourselves, separately. Like the challenges of the world are going to be solved by us doing it together. And it's about optimizing what are your strengths. In the private sector, we build and innovate and generate. And in government, they bring in an expertise 
and a wide range of environments that in a private sector you may not have exposure to and even be able to afford that type of exposure. But you don't have to because through the engagement of these organizations, you can get the benefit of that exposure and that information and then use it to your value. And that's actually a good point. It's, uh, to me, it all comes down to expectations. If you're in the private sector, what can you expect of these public entities to provide from a support perspective? They're not just going to, you can't just toss them the hot potato and say, here's my trouble, you know, solve it for me. How do you make that a better relationship? I think it's a two-way conversation. It can't just be give me, give me, give me. You have to also give back to them because that's what they need. They need the perspective of the private sector and what we will often call the ground truth. They want to know what is the private sector seeing? What is it experiencing? It? What are the challenges? What are the successes? Because that helps the government then shift to identify where is the threat environment going and what are the next trends and what are our challenges that we're all going to face that we need to tackle together. And then in this day and age of short uh, budgetary limitations, optimizing and maximizing our money to where we're going to get our most benefit right? And, and, and to be able to help the greatest number of people. I like that idea of the individual businesses, the private organizations out there being like these tentacles that are able to feed back that information to make for a better overall experience. And it's a holistic view then too, because everyone who experiences something has a different perspective. And when you bring all those perspectives together, that's the diversity of it, right? then you get a more holistic picture and you don't get into this tunnel vision or siloed information sharing that misses things, doesn't connect all the dots or tentacles as you were calling them. It's how to use those. Well, a lot of organizations view their security teams as cost centers. And I don't think that's a good thing. It's like guns, gates, and guards. It's a necessary expense. But if the security organization can show they can provide additional value to the business beyond just that, it suddenly creates a whole new dynamic and it makes organizations want to invest in it. So how can private organizations tap into their security functions to improve their overall business? I think the first step needs to be a purposeful or intentional engagement of understanding both sides. And again, it's not just about the business understanding what security does, because I think sometimes that's what we gravitate first to doing. But I think it's, for me, even more important that security professionals and myself included engage with the business. Like they're busy too, right? They don't, they're not going to have time to come to me. I need to go to them. I need to go to them on their playing field. And I need to ask questions and then listen. I don't need to try to sell them something. I don't need to try to sell them the importance of this. What I need to do is hear what their intentions are. What are their goals? What are their objectives? What do they see as the challenges? And then I need, in that listening process, to think about how can I make that, I don't want to say easier, but how can I help them 
solve that challenge? Or how can I help them achieve that objective? And then it's about articulating that with them and getting that buy-in. And it's not just talking to them one time. This may take months or years to build that trust and that relationship to where they are willing. But I promise you, and I've seen it happen, when you do that, they will come to you. And then I think we really start optimizing and changing the narrative that security is just a cost center. Yes, we support the business, but the costs are no more different than paying for insurance or paying for other business expenses that the company happily pays for. That's a really great way to look at it. And as you were speaking, you come from tremendous experience, so you know how to bridge that gap and speak the language of the business. What would you recommend to someone who's maybe earlier in their career, maybe struggling with this on how to approach the business? Because oftentimes people in security just think about the world differently and speak a different language than the business folks. So how can you get yourself better at engaging with business people? I often tell people, and especially young people coming into the industry who are still, let's say, mastering their skill sets and their capabilities, I encourage them to get more involved in their communications programs. If you're a student still, I would tell people, you need to minor in communications. Mm, That's interesting. Understand what marketing is. Understand the terminology of public relations and get a comfort level into speaking, whether it's in a crowd or in a one-on-one conversation with the senior leader of an organization. Because those that skill set of understanding and empathizing with the person that you're talking with and listening to what they're saying and then how to keep a conversation going, much like what you do, Peter, (laughs) on all these podcasts. I mean, that's the type of engagement that I think newer people into the business need to do because when you engage with the business side of the house, you hear what their concerns are. You hear what their successes are. You hear what their failures are. And then you're understanding their side of the story. Because at the end, what we want to do is write one story, one story for the entire business. And in order to do that, we need to understand how to communicate. And it's not just as easy as I think sometimes people think. You need to practice it. You need to challenge yourself. If you're uncomfortable in speaking in groups, then start with smaller groups and build up to it. But, but senior security leaders cannot just sit in office spaces anymore and just send out emails. They need to be seen and heard actively and not just in a way of telling someone this is what you must do. I think sometimes security is looked at, we're the no people. You can't do that. You can't do that. We need to be the, I want to help you do what you want to do safely and securely. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like, I'm not going to prevent you from going to that really dangerous country where we need to do business. I'm going to enable you to do it safely as possible. (laughs) As possible, right. That's right. And I love what you said before about it's all about understanding. And the only way you can understand what's in someone's head is to listen and ask great yeah. questions. 
following along this theme a little bit, oftentimes organizations keep security to the side. It's not part of the business. It's not part of the culture. I don't think that's a good thing. It's got to be part of the culture for an organization to be safe from a cyber perspective, from a physical perspective, from a mental perspective. I mean, it's got to be just in the culture. So in your opinion, how can employees outside the security function help secure the organization? Yeah, and I liked what we were talking about earlier, that security is the role and responsibility belongs to everyone. And I think we need to understand that security culture is really about bringing security into the DNA of a business or an organization of all aspects of the business and the organization, not just access into the compound. I know people will say, well, you have to have lots of security nowadays because of the complexity of cyber and everything else. And I would often say and and have said to the chagrin of many executives, I don't want a large security team ever because let's say my company's 5,000 employees. I want 5,000 security people because I Mm. want every employee within that company because they make up the DNA of that company to understand their responsibility and role for security. And that enables me to be far more effective and impactful when I can get them to do the work and the and not only their work, but our compliance and security measures and protections that we want, when we get them to do it, then we don't need to hire guards and gates and guts. And don't get me wrong, we're not going to get rid of a lot of those things, but we don't have to create these boxes on pieces of land where no one can come in and out of. Yeah, it doesn't work in the modern world. There's too much interconnectivity. And it goes back to the old saying, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if you don't have, in your example, 5,000 people who are empowered to take responsibility for security, then all it takes is one to cause a big problem. And you can't assign an individual security guard for each one of those 5,000 people. So, (laughs) Absolutely. And Peter, I think the part that's been missing for years is that we don't explain the why. We explain the what they have to do. Mm. We don't explain the why. Like, why do we not? Why do we want them to change their passwords every three months? Or or why do we want them to put their ID badges away when they walk off of a compound when they're traveling, right? The why is important to people because then they understand the part that they can control. That's perfect. I love that. Well, as you look toward the the future and you contrast it to like the last 10, 20, 30 years, what do you believe to be the top challenges facing security leaders today? You know, I think coming out of COVID and with the war in Ukraine and now what we see in Israel and Gaza, we need to recognize that because of the interconnectivity that we have, we now have public crises and we have to build a structure within our organization that can manage and handle more than one incident at a time because the world is throwing at us numerous incidents all at the same time. And we have to be able to manage them and manage them well so that we protect the business, but we also protect the humans that make up that business. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing that, I mean, I just look back on my career. You're right. Things used to be very single threaded. There was 
incidents that would happen and it would impact things more at a local level. But now the world's become so interconnected. Everyone's out on social media and on the internet. And once you are, you're part of a global community. And in the old days, you had like a, a local grocery store that if it went down, it was because of a local issue. But now there's everything's gotten bigger. So something that right. happens 3,000 miles away can impact you in your hometown. And that, there's just more of that happening and multiple incidents that are occurring. It seems like it makes the job of the security person a lot more difficult. I think it's become more complex, but it's also, it's interesting and it's exciting because it opens avenues for people going into this industry to really carve out unique, let's call them superpowers, that they can then bring to a business or an organization to really help those institutions grow. The interconnectivity creates the challenges, but they're just challenges. And I often tell everybody challenges are just opportunities. Opportunities to experiment, opportunities to look for different paths, look for different avenues to tackle things, knowing that once you solve that problem, there'll be another one. Well, looking ahead, what threats or perhaps trends do you see on the horizon that organizations and security leaders need to watch? Well, the one that jumps out at me is we have to acknowledge that artificial intelligence is here. It's not going to go away. And we need to understand how to optimize it while doing it safely and securely. And it's more important in my mind that companies, even if you don't think you're using it today, you need to understand you will be using it in five years. Whether you want it to or not, you will be using it in some shape or fashion. And so learn about it, understand it, talk to people about it, talk to the experts, and let's start tackling the, how are we going to do it safely and securely? Because to be honest, I think if we had done more of that in the early stages of the internet, we may not have so many cybersecurity problems that we have today. We would still have some, but maybe not some of the bigger ones because we would have thought about all of this together. So we need to like learn from that. We know we're going to need something for AI and it's more than just a cybersecurity program. So let's start talking about that and let's start talking about how we're going to teach our coworkers and our customers on how to use this very important and valuable tool that's going to take us to the next level. I think the problem with that is you don't know what you don't know. So that can be an overwhelming thing. What do you suggest if you've got your security hat on? How do you approach the business to say, we're going to need to figure this out together? Who would you meet with? What would you say to start exploring this topic? Well, And again, let's start with you don't know what you don't know. So I love back in the day, let's say before COVID, sitting down and having a coffee with two or three people and just asking questions, right? What do they see their side of the business doing five years from now? And like, what do they see that they're going to need technology wise to get to that five years? And then understanding that and then understanding the power that AI will bring in to to really maximize efficiencies and effectiveness. And let's say in many ways, it's going to help reduce costs 
because it's going to speed up a lot of the things that we were doing different ways. So starting those conversations and then again, asking them, if this is what you want to accomplish, what are you going to need to do that? Then it's like, okay, well, how could we do that safely and securely based on our experience thus far on how we've had to try to, we want to avoid having to put a Band-Aid on something. Again, I'll tie this all back. We want to put the security into the DNA of the AI and not try to put the tourniquet on it or the Band-Aid on it after we're already using it and it's gone haywire. Yeah, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And again, I would say we need to get out there and network. And I think this is the power of the internet. It's the power of podcasts. It's the power of organizations like OSAC and DSAC and As Is and, and many others that are out there to do that. Well, one great way for people to learn is to learn from other people's experiences. So with that in mind, could you share perhaps a a significant experience or maybe a good story from your career, good or bad, that's had a lasting impact on your approach to security? Yeah, I I will say this. I'm a very competitive person. I always have been. Um, I grew up in a sports kind of minded family. And uh, in the past, I looked at things win-loss, right? Um, and then I went to work for an organization called NATO. Mm. And NATO, you have the power of the memberships, right? And you have to have consensus of all, not 50%, not 51%, right? And it was that experience of how to listen and learn and navigate through all the different individual desires to then be able to articulate back and start selling, right? Well, I heard you and I hear this. Would you agree with that, right? To then tie it all together. To me, that was probably, it was one of the most challenging jobs that I had. Also one of the most interesting because I had to come out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone was I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. And if I lose, then I'm just going to come back at this in another way, right? And instead, I needed to learn how to compromise. But Mm. in order to compromise, I still needed to be able to achieve the objective. So it was fun. And I would recommend it over and over and over again to people that are interested in that type of thing. It does give you gray hair. Yeah, (laughs) I don't see any there. But it comes back to what we were talking about before, where it's how do you compromise safely? Well, before we wrap up here, do you have any tips for those who are making the transition from public to private? I always like to cover that because it can be a a difficult chasm to cross. Yeah, I've said this to many friends and colleagues who are making a transition. First and foremost, understand that it's not about having one resume. You need to understand that every job has its nuances and has its skills that need to be addressed when you apply to it. So you need to think about having multiple resumes and resumes that fit the type of job that you're applying for. And and when I say that, I mean literally 
look at the way the verbiage that they use in the job description because that's your first indication of how the company talks or how mm. the organization talks. And you need to talk back to them the same way because, oh, by the way, they have these algorithms that wash you out if you use a different terminology. So first and foremost, go into the transition planning process, understanding that you need more than one resume and more than one cover letter. That's great advice. All right. Well, I know we could talk for hours. You've got so much experience, but thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a ton and I'm glad our schedule is finally aligned and we can get you on here. Yeah, Peter, thank you so much. I enjoy the podcast. I look forward to listening to all the future ones and the great work that you serve the community and the industry. And so I appreciate you and I appreciate the entire team and everything that they're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you. And the team here is amazing. So it's definitely a team effort. To learn more about Wendy and her work with Scout Motors, click the links in the show notes. And tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.